Welcome to Return of the King, Straight Talk About End Times. This is not a sermon series. This is a short-term class that we're offering over the course of about eight weeks here beginning in December 2015 uh, and going through at least January of 2016. Uh, We're going to look at what leads up to the return of Christ, what comes after the return of Christ, and everything in between. And so um, we're going to be trying to take this from a biblical standpoint rather than a popular culture standpoint. Some of what we talk about here may be different than what you've heard before. And so thanks for tuning in with us. If you're listening online as we're going through this course, please feel free to email me uh, through our website or neil, N-E-I-L, at cypressstreet.org anytime with any questions you might have and I will certainly try to get to them as we go through this course. Uh, Thanks for listening. Here we go. Well the first week was kind of just why you should even listen to what we're going to talk about and because it is quite different from what's popular in um, most Christian circles in America these days. It's different than a lot of what you see out there, uh, like in the Left Behind series and other popular uh, things. And so why should we even listen? So we talked about at the very first week how the things that are popular in American culture right now, like Left Behind series and that kind of theology, has only been around for a couple hundred years since the 1800s and uh, and really a little bit less than that and a little bit limited to pretty much America. Most of the rest of the world um, still doesn't believe in that theology and, uh, and most uh, Christian groups don't subscribe to it and that's definitely been true throughout history and, the, and for the 1800 years or so before anyone dreamed up a secret rapture. And so from there and just kind of saying, okay, if that's not... Um, what Christians have predominantly believed since the early New Testament church to now, what have they believed? And so we've been talking about, you know, how are we going to come to that conclusion? What are we going to, how are we going to find out about it? And so one thing we talked about is how we're going to, our method is going to be to move from what's clearest in Scripture to what's not clearest in Scripture. Just as if, if there was a paragraph you were reading and there was a lot of it that was hard to understand, you would look for context clues. You'd look for things that you clearly do understand and and use those things to inform the things that you don't understand as well. And so we're doing the same kind of thing by not starting with a book like Revelation that's very, uh, it's called apocalyptic prophecy is the type of literature that that is. And it's full of symbols and it's full of things that would have been hard for an ancient Jew to figure out. And we're not even ancient Jews. So it's, it's a challenge uh, to, to sort it all out. And anyone that tells you that they've got it all sorted out is probably going to lead you down some wrong paths and assumptions. And, and views of Revelation have changed through the centuries. And so anyway, we're going to get to that book, but that's not where we're going to start to form our fundamentals of what's going to happen when Christ returns. There's plenty that's said about it in clear books that, and things said by Jesus and in, written by the Apostle Paul or Peter and so forth. And so we're looking at a lot of different things to formulate the fundamentals of what's going to happen when Christ returns. And from there we'll use that clearer understanding of the clearer passages of Scripture to inform how we interpret the less clear passages. So... Um, Last week, we kind of just talked about what's it going to be like when Christ returns. And we said, well, it's going to be 
very audible. Lots of, I mean, the descriptions are trumpets blasting, and it's also very visible. He said, Jesus said it's like, you know, if thunder flashes in the east, it's seen in the west. I mean, it just it's a big event. Everyone's going to know about it. Uh, we talked about how there's several things that are going to happen when Christ returns that are all in conjunction with his one return. New Testament only talks about one return of Christ, and when that happens, there's a lot of things associated with it. For instance, uh, we filled out things last week in our, on our worksheet like uh, who's who is revealed, like who, uh, is belong, who belongs to Christ and who doesn't belong to Christ. Uh, we talked about how we'll be gathered for a big greeting. Those of us that are following Christ and are still alive when he returns will go out and greet him. Just as a, uh, like in Rome in ancient days, that's the image that's used in the New Testament a lot. Is you know, just as they would be accustomed to the image of an emperor returning to Rome after being victorious, and the Roman people go out and it's like a parade as they bring him back into the city, and and so it's the same image of the Christ followers are called up to meet Christ as he returns and to you know re-enter Earth with him, kind of a thing, um, as he comes to reign. And his second return. We talked about how um, there will be a judgment aspect when Christ returns. There will be, uh, we talked about how scripture tells us that those who are dead in Christ now, who have died in Christ, they'll return with Christ when he returns. Uh, we talked about briefly, and this is going to be more what we get into now, today is uh, that when he returns, believers get new bodies. That's what's called the resurrection of the body of Christ. Um, creation gets rebooted. We talked about that as well, and we'll talk about that more today. And forever begins. You know, it says that we'll be with Christ forever once he returns. And so there's a lot that goes on when Christ returns. And like I say, go back and catch up on anything you've missed so far because we're kind of building our end times theology, if you will, as we go. So today we're talking about the kingdom fully realized. And that's a big part of Christ's return. When uh, we talk about Christ as a king, he was born a king. We're celebrating that at Christmas. Uh, and he came preaching that the kingdom of God is near. Uh, his followers and he referred to the kingdom a lot. Most of Jesus' parables were the kingdom of God is like this or like that. Uh, you know, it, when it came time for the crucifixion and everything, he had that interesting encounter with uh, Pilate where Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus says, yeah, but my kingdom's not of this world. It's not like your kingdom. It's my kingdom's different. And uh, so there's a sense in which Jesus is king right now and he's reigning right now. And there's a sense in which his kingdom is not fully realized, not fully established, uh, at least on earth. And so... We await his return to kick that off. And we believe, based on what scripture tells us, and what we'll, we'll look at a lot of it now, that his kingdom will be fully realized when he returns. That's what we look forward to and expect. And there's some things that go along with that. And it mostly has to do with setting things right. You know, there's, if you think about it this way, uh, the, the broader biblical narrative is that God created everything and he said it was good and then we had the fall of man that took place that messed things up right and there was a curse placed on humanity and a curse placed on 
creation because of the decisions that we made to reject God in favor of our own agenda, in favor of, you know, and what the, uh, the, the temptation in the garden was, uh, you know, if you'll eat this, you'll become like God. And the, and the temptation that was given into was, yeah, we want to be our own gods. We want to be like God. We want to be able to call the shots. We want to decide what we want to do and who we want to worship and how we want to live. And so we rejected God, and there's been all kinds of fallout from that through the years. And then God has made a way to reconcile us to him through Christ. And now we look forward to Christ returning and setting everything right again, fixing what's broken. And so we have, you know, images in Revelation that look forward to um, a day when there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and, and, uh, and justice will be served on the evildoers and the people who've been oppressing people. And, and, you know, I mean, just the evil that we see in our world, you know, whether it's the... Hitlers, or whether it's the other, you know, people that we don't even hear about that are that are oppressing people. You know, justice will be served, things will be set right. It'll get back to what, the way God originally intended it to be at, at the point of creation. And so that's what we're talking about today: is is the kingdom fully realized, and how that's going to work, and what that's going to look like. And so um, the first thing we want to look at is basically it's. Um, the resurrection, the resurrection aspect of when Christ returns. And usually when we talk about resurrection, we're thinking of uh, Easter, right? And we're thinking of Jesus resurrecting. And we don't often talk about ourselves resurrecting at any point. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't really think about that uh, because... What we're used to hearing, and this is going to be, we kind of hit on this a little bit last week, but we got kind of rushed at the end of our session last week, so we're going to really dive into it a lot more today. But see, what we're used to envisioning, I think the vast majority of us, is not based on what we've read in the Bible. It's based on popular depictions and things from, you know, that have been popular since really medieval times to now. And we have this image where we're going to... um, well, and especially since the rapture theology came along. We're going to be beamed up to heaven when Christ returns, and we're going to live on a cloud with, you know, hopefully a, a really big mansion. It's going to be kind of weird, cloudy, <laughs> streets of gold. And we've got this image that, you know, we're just going to be up there. We don't know. Some people like to envision their fishing in heaven. Some people like to envision that there's limitless pizza in heaven and we just, we don't know, but it's going to be great and it's going to be somewhere up in the clouds and we're going to be floating around just spirits with wings, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Maybe dogs will be there, maybe not. You know, we have all these popular images of what it'll be like. Um, But scripture teaches something different and we kind of started hitting on that last week a little bit and that is that just as Christ was resurrected and he received a new body right he died three days later he had a new body and we're going to look at some of that and just like he was resurrected he that's a promise that we also will be resurrected like him one day and we'll have a new body just like he had a new body that was a different sort of body than what the kind of bodies that we have now and so there's a Jesus had his resurrection, and then there's a promise that when Christ returns, all believers will be resurrected with him. And that simply means we will get 
whether we're still alive when Christ returns or whether we've died in Christ beforehand and we return with him, there will be a new body thing going on. So let's look at some passages about that that talk about this and let's talk about also what that new body is like, the little bit that we know about it. And so to do that, uh, let's begin by looking at Jesus' resurrection. Okay, so we'll start with Matthew 28. 8 through 9. So we're going to say new bodies like Jesus. See if the microphone works today. I forgot to turn it on. Matthew 28. 8 through 9. Somebody read that for us. This is right after the resurrection. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Okay. Let's also read... um, I I was going to just mention from that, they took hold of his feet. So when Jesus resurrected, there was a physicalness to his body, you know, it wasn't just a spiritual thing. They, and we're going to see several times that they were able to touch him and so forth. So let's also look at Luke 24, 36 to 43. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Why does it include this information about Jesus eating some fish? Because this is a mysterious thing. He's just shown up in this new body that is kind of spirit-like, but kind of not. And they're they're kind of trying to sort out this whole thing in their mind. I mean, for one, they had seen Jesus die, and now he's standing there in front of them. He's almost hard to recognize, and yet he's recognizable. Uh, There's... It's like seeing a spirit, but it's not like seeing a spirit because he's physical. I mean, he's eating food right in front of them. They're able to touch him and feel him and talk to him. And so we have, it's just, I mean, you know, there's a mystery to this, but, but we know some basic things that uh, it's a different sort of body. Let's look at uh, the next one, John twenty nineteen. Someone can read that one for us. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered. When the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Okay. So it points out kind of specifically the doors were locked and Jesus showed up in their midst. So there's I mean it's like he's a spirit and yet there's a he's and yet it's physical also. And so that's just some of what we observe about Jesus and his new body. 
that he received after he was resurrected. Let's look at some of the things that um, were written about these new bodies and the promise of that to us. So let's look at Philippians 3. That's down past 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, a little further into your New Testament. Philippians 3. At the very end. So we want to read that for us, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things in himself, to himself. Okay. So we are eagerly waiting for Christ to return. And he is the one who will transform our current bodies in their humble state to become like his body in its glorious state. Uh, let's look at, we're going to back up actually this time to 1 Corinthians. So you have to go back the other way. And uh, chapter 15 talks a lot about new bodies. So um, I'll just read a little bit of this. We'll kind of talk about it as we go. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Oftentimes the Bible talks about you know being dead as asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. And then he explains what he's saying. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And so Paul's using this example of the creation story you know that through when Adam chose to reject God when Adam and Eve did that they took on you know humanity took on this curse everything was messed up and so he's contrasting Adam with Christ Jesus so for as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive but each in his own order Christ the first fruits he's the one that was resurrected first and after that those who are his at his coming and then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he's abolished all rule and all authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy that will be abolished is death for he has put all things in subjection under his feet but when he says all things are put in subjection it is evident that he is Accepted, who puts all things in. See, Paul gets kind of crazy, but basically he's saying that uh, Christ is going to return, set up his kingdom, hand the kingdom over to his Father, uh, since the Son exists to give glory to the Father, and we've read that in other places. But let's skip down to uh, some more talk about this resurrection aspect. So let's skip down to 42 for now, and we'll be. We'll be back at this passage in future uh, sessions. So, uh, 
So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown, like you would sow a seed, a perishable body, and it is raised in an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. For it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The, sorry, hang on, let me check how far I'm supposed to go. Let's stop there. It just, it gets confusing. <laughs> but uh, you can read that through more. And we're going to pick up right now at verse 50. And it kind of gets back on our topic. So, um, Paul says, Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, not everyone's going to die. Because when Christ returns, there'll be people still living on the earth. But we will all be changed, whether you were dead or whether you weren't dead. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your work, is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, So there's a whole lot there, and it gives us a whole lot of information that we can write down about what it means to have a new body like Jesus. And so we're going to fill in some of those blanks under there with words that we read from the scripture passages we just looked at, and especially there from 1 Corinthians. We read that it's going to be imperishable slash immortal. He uses both of those terms. So in a sense, you know, if the if when at the fall of man a curse entered mankind's body and death entered the human race then something changed at that point but when we are remade in Christ we'll be remade and that curse will be removed our bodies will be as intended before we rejected God so imperishable, immortal Another word he uses is glorious. Another word he uses is powerful. And another word he uses is spiritual or heavenly. And we saw from Christ's example that that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a physical component to the body, that it's just mist or ghost-like or something. It just means that the, the it's both spiritual and physical. I mean, just like Jesus was appearing in rooms and there was something spirit-like about it that threw the disciples off a little bit. At the same time, there was a physical component to it as well. Uh, so we don't know exactly how that works and I don't suppose we will until we experience it. But this is what 
scripture teaches us it'll be like that we'll be resurrected we'll be and there's other passages that talk about it too but those are some basic ones that talk about uh, the new bodies that we're promised to get it'll be like Jesus is that interesting <laughs> any questions They're of the sort that could possibly be answered. <laughs> There's questions, obviously, that we all have, but thoughts you want to share, anything before we move on? The people that died right now are not in heaven, in paradise. They don't have a physical body, they're just spiritual. They don't have their new body anyway. So that's the idea. Um, but, and we're going to hit on that at the last section there. That says, what about those who've already died? <laughs> that's enough. That's good. That's a natural question that we all have, I think, in association with this. So we definitely want to talk about it. Let's go ahead then and look at the next part. Because um, when the kingdom is fully realized it's not just about us and our bodies but it's also has to do with creation and so let's look at Romans chapter 8 and this you'll have to back up again from 1 Corinthians this is the book right before 1 Corinthians Romans chapter 8 this is kind of a long one too so I'll read this one and we'll have someone else read the next bit For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. All right, which is one of the things that we said happens when Christ returns. You know, we see that in other passages as well, that when Christ returns, it, who's who is revealed. You know, the, who are the sons of God? Who are the uh, people of Christ? Is revealed, and so he's talking about the return of Christ, and we're and it's not only us who are anxiously longing, but creation waits eagerly for this moment. And he says, "Here's why." Um, verse twenty: For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. So there's the image here of, of creation that was corrupted, you know, at the fall of man. The curse was not just on our bodies, but on all of creation. And, and the world has never been the same. And creation is eagerly longing for it. And that it struck me this week that, that the pains of childbirth, you know, one other spot where it talks about that is at the fall of man. And God says to Eve, there's going to be pain in childbirth. Now, that was part of the way that the, the creation narrative describes the curse that was put on mankind. Uh, that's just a part of it. And so it's interesting that Paul chooses that language from the, the curse that struck humanity at the 
at the fall to describe that to say basically that creation was also cursed at that time and that creation also waits for things to be set right for uh, the curse to be wiped free and for it to be made new so like last week when we talked about creation being rebooted you know this is kind of a similar this is kind of expounding on that so let's go on to first peter and that's closer towards the end of the new testament after hebrew and james hebrews and james I keep putting First Peter down. I don't know why. It's Second Peter. It's two weeks in a row now. I'm just determined to talk about husbands and wives. <laughs> so. Someone read for us verse seven. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Why don't you go ahead and do uh, 10 through 13 too. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a war, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be holy and what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intensity. But according to this promise, we are looking for a new heaven and earth in which righteousness dwells. So... This is very bold language. This is kind of apocalyptic sounding as well, um, just like we read sometimes in Revelation, especially in other um, books and passages like it. But, you know, here he's describing it as, I mean, it, it sounds apocalyptic, right? I mean, the elements are burning up, all creation, the heaven and earth as we know it, is destroyed and a new heaven and earth is made. In other places it talks about it almost more like a, well, like Paul just described it in, in Romans, where creation is longing to be restored, to be made new again, to be made right. And there's passages that talk about the old age and the old order of things passing away and the new order of things beginning. And, and so we don't know exactly how that's going to take place, because there's different describers for it in Scripture. But what we do know is that one way or another, like we said last week, creation is going to be rebooted. <laughs> it's going to be restored. So um, a couple things we can say about it for sure is that the corruption, so creation will do creation like Eden. New creation like Eden. And that's just to say that you know, God created it again and he said it was good and then it got ungood after the fall of man and so we can expect then that this new creation, this new heaven and new earth, uh, when creation is restored to the way it was intended to be, that uh, it will be more like the way it was intended at the beginning. And so corruption will be removed, that's one of the C words on there, the corruption will be removed and the curse 
will be removed. And anything and everything that that entails. We don't know all the details of it. We just know that, I mean, we can look around us and see that not all is right, you know, in the world. And not all is good. And there is a lot that is good, but there's also things that aren't good and don't seem to be the way that God intended it to be. And so in some way, shape, or form, everything that's wrong will be burned up, melted away, and everything that's right will be restored. And so when God's kingdom is fully realized, not only will we get bodies that don't have corruption and curse, you know, aren't marked by that, creation will also be remade in a similar fashion and kind of resurrected in a way. Um, So let's get to... What about those who've already died? And then I want us to have a little bit of time to listen to uh, a smart guy talk to us for a minute. So, um, so let's look at those who've already died. And that may or may not be us someday. And what um, does that look like? So we'll begin at Luke Chapter 23, that's all the way back at the Gospels, in between Mark and John. And this is at the crucifixion of Jesus, 39 to 43. We have the story of uh, one of the criminals hanging, you know, there were two criminals hanging on either side of them. One of them said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other answered, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Alright, so that's a famous passage of the thief on the cross and Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise and so in some sense after Jesus died they were in what Jesus referred to as paradise or you know sometimes we refer to that as heaven however you want to we don't know a whole lot about it but that's some kind of a spiritual realm right where they were at I mean they died their spirits Somehow those two guys were together. Jesus was resurrected three days later, received a new body. Um, the thief will have to wait like the rest of us. So, um, so that's the, one of the first instances where we, you know, that's where you hear Jesus talking about this idea of paradise or heaven. Um, so those are your first two blanks as well, paradise, heaven. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Fifty-one. I think we breezed across this one earlier when we were reading about our the new bodies. But uh, someone read to us verse fifty-one. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Yeah, but we all but we all will be changed. So again, say sleep is often used in the New Testament talk about death and starting with Jesus himself there's a lot of, like when Lazarus his friend Lazarus died Jesus says to his disciples well he's sleeping and they say well that's probably a good thing Lord because he's going to get better if he's sleeping you know rest is good for the illness and 
And Jesus is like, no, 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 he, he's dead. We're going to go check on him. But Jesus looked at death as sleeping. And he used that again with the girl that they said, Lord, he, she's already dead. And she, he said, no, she's sleeping. And then we see later after the resurrection and everything that the apostles often referred to death as sleeping. Just as Paul writes here, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Uh, so, and there's also, you know, it's a, a, refer, a reference to, a, you know, a place of rest. And you've probably heard that a lot in um, songs and different things, you know. Um, we'll be resting over there. But that resting and resting in heaven, that's not like we're going to rest eternally. That would get old, right? <laughs> it's just... There's a, there's a period of resting until Christ returns and restores his kingdom and gives us new bodies. And uh, so right now there's this paradise, this heaven, where resting or sleeping happens and you're with Christ. So those are some of your, some more of your blanks if you're wanting to fill them in. Resting, sleeping, with Christ. Just as Christ said, you'll be with me today in paradise. Uh, Let's look at, I think Revelation is one of, 14 is one of those that refers to uh, the resting. Uh, it says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. Let's go back to uh, Philippians 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's all in these little short letters from Paul. Philippians 1, 21 to 24. Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he's, you know, being pulled between the labor that he's doing for the kingdom on earth or going and resting with Christ and being with Christ if he dies. And uh, so that's an image of that. And one more thing, and this is the what finishes our, what we need to know about those who have already died, and that's found in 1 Thessalonians. So it's just a couple of letters over from Philippians. 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you don't grieve as the rest of those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. They're going to come back with him. They're set to return. Is our blank, our last blank. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, they'll get their bodies first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's what we talked about last week, that this is the image of you know, Christ is returning, and a greeting party goes out to usher him in 
just that's the image of the emperor returning or a king returning. Uh, it's what's described. That was a popular depiction in that day of Caesar coming back and they go out and parade him in. They're not going to let him just wander in alone without any kind of celebration. Uh, he has to be greeted and welcomed. And uh, We watched a lot about that or talked a lot about that last week. Uh, so, for the Lord himself will descend, and we who are alive will be caught up and meet him, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay? Um, so this is all probably a little bit different than the way you're used to thinking of it. And yet, it's time and again explained in Scripture this way by the apostles, that, um, that when we die, we're with Christ in some kind of a resting thing. We don't know. We still don't know like what all do they know is going on, what all do they not know is going on. Uh, me and my Mimi were just talking about the, that this weekend. Of, you know, Papa has passed away, and how much does he know of what's going on? How much does he see of what's going on? We don't know. There's, he's in a spiritual resting place in paradise or heaven, wherever you want to call it. We don't know all the details of what that looks like or how that works, but we do know that they're with Christ, and we know that Christ's spirit is with us, so it can't be that far away. And that there's this sense in which uh, when Christ does return to fully realize the kingdom, that they'll come back with him, and they'll receive new bodies, and we'll, we'll receive new bodies, and we'll all live with Christ forever. That's the promise of scripture. That's the promise of the return of Christ and in times and also. Okay, I promised you, and I think we landed just in time. Uh, this is N.T. Wright. He's one of the guys that we've been listening to some. He's British. Uh, we've mostly been hearing from Ben Witherington III, uh, who's not British, but sounds British. And, um, but he's a professor at Asbury. This guy is, um, you know, has taught at Cambridge and Oxford and all these different places and, um, and is just kind of a theological genius. But he's... One of the uh, foremost people kind of saying, no, you know, some of these popular ideas aren't uh, really in Scripture. So we'll hear him talk about it. He's got the little, he looks formal and has the little cross in the collar because he's Anglican background. And, uh, but his, his views are, are fairly unique and not always purely Anglican. And he just uh, is one of the foremost New Testament scholars that we have. So thought we would listen to him since he's a lot smaller than me. Well, what does it mean to say that, that Jesus conquered death in that resurrection? People get very muddled about this because in the Western world we have often imagined that resurrection is just a fancy way of saying going to heaven when you die. And so when people talk about our resurrection they muddle that up with the idea of what happens immediately after death. In the first century Jewish world and all the early Christians were, of course, first century Jews, uh, resurrection had a very clear meaning. It meant that after you die, there is a period of being dead where your body has died and is corrupting. And then God gives you a new or renewed body. And resurrection is therefore not life after death, it's the next stage beyond that, which I have called, some people find this confusing, I find it very clear, life after, life after death. And, and that I think we need to re-inhabit because it's, it's very strange to many people, even devout Christians who say they believe in the resurrection of the body, but haven't actually thought through what it's all about. So that when the early Christians said Jesus was raised from the dead, 
They didn't mean his body lies mouldering in the grave and his soul goes marching on. I mean, that really wasn't what they were saying. They were talking about him being bodily alive after a period of being dead. Therefore, resurrection is not the same thing as simply dying and going somewhere else. It is actually the overcoming, the conquest of death. Death is the denial of the goodness of God's created order. Resurrection is the reaffirmation of the goodness of God's created order. And, and when Jesus is resurrected, he doesn't appear to them as a ghost, though that's what they're afraid of initially. Yeah, and they knew all about ghosts and spirits and so on. There's plenty of, kind of ghost story stuff in the first century. And also they knew, interestingly, which contemporary research goes into as well, the way in which after somebody you love has died, some people sometimes have a very vivid awareness of them as a visible presence in the room with them or speaking to them or whatever, then they disappear again. And some people, some people said, oh, that's what obviously happened at Easter. But the thing is, they knew about that as well. And if there hadn't been an empty tomb as well, they would have probably said, that's what it was. But then the physical stuff about eating and drinking and, and Thomas. inviting Thomas to touch him and so on. Um, it's very strange, it's very mysterious. They, the way they tell the stories is as though to say, we know this is like weird, we didn't expect this to happen. This is not just, oh yeah, sure, resurrection, fine. This is very, very, very strange. Because Jesus has gone into previously uncharted territory. It, he hasn't just come back into the present life, so he has to die again. It isn't reincarnation, in other words. And he's different, they don't recognize him. different. The difference is fascinating, and it goes with this sense that Paul says, that the Messiah being raised from the dead will never die again. Death doesn't have any power over him anymore. He's gone into, and this again to our Western minds is very puzzling, a physical immortality. We think of immortality as the immortal soul, but this is a bodily immortality. And that body is just a bit different. And so, yeah, they don't recognize him. They're puzzled. One of my favorite lines in John's Gospel is where John says, None of them dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. You know, this is the guy they've been with for three years, day and night. You know, you don't say, who are you? But they, they wanted to say, and yet they knew. And that sort of knowing and not knowing is very typical of the resurrection. And as you say, and as many Christians sort of state, that's not just the resurrection of Jesus' body, right. but it's a promise right. that our bodies too will yes. be resurrected. And again, it's very interesting, I was in Italy a year or two ago and was in uh, one or two old churches where they've got these frescoes uh, of the last things. And at some point in the earlier Middle Ages, they were still doing paintings of, like Ezekiel 37, bodies coming up out of the ground and get, getting fleshed and, and breath and so on. And then at a certain point, and you reach it by the time you get Michelangelo of the Sistine Chapel, here is Christ in majesty, and this lot are going to heaven, and that lot are going to hell. How do you fit resurrection into that? And so the great classic view, which has dominated Western Christianity ever since, of heaven and hell, really doesn't make it easy for us to understand what for the New Testament is absolutely central. Namely, God will remake the whole creation, and within that, of course, we will be raised from the dead, because this will be a physical world, a more than physical world, in which we will then share. And you've talked about heaven as a sort of wayside in, uh, yeah. or, or a storage unit, which is not quite as nice as it is, but, but um, please talk about that, because I think that's the sort of, that's, that was for me the surprising part of the book, is to imagine heaven as only temporary. Uh, yes. Well, he heaven in that sense is only temporary, and that, the bit you just quoted is John 14, where Jesus says, in my father's house are many 
and the King James Version says mansions or rooms, whatever, but the Greek is monai, and a mone in Greek is not a place you go to live forever and ever. It is a wayside inn. I don't like the idea of the story. You don't like the story. I'm not sure where that came from. You just made that up. It's a lovely wayside inn. It's a beautiful place. And uh, Paul says in Philippians 1, my desire is to depart and be with the Messiah, which is far better. In other words, this is not a period when we're waiting to be with Jesus. We will be with him during that period. He will be with us. It's very mysterious. We don't have good language for this. I've often said all our language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into a fog. And the signposts are true signposts, but they don't give us a photographic reproduction of what we'll find when we get there. And the great imagery in the book of Revelation is not about people dying and going to heaven. It's about the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth so that the dwelling of God is with humans. And that is the fulfillment of the aim of Genesis 1 and 2 in the first place. You know, the idea is God made a world which is heaven and earth together, and that world is, as it were, a temple. That's where God wants to live. But he puts the creatures who bear his image into that temple. That's what temples have, is an image of the God. And his desire is that he will be there, and his image bearers will be there, and that they will be together, all part of the same reality. That's a much richer and more interesting picture, actually, than most of the common Western pictures about people just sitting on a cloud, listening to something, somebody playing harp. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a, a, a wonderful cartoon of some guy sitting there on a cloud looking bored and saying, gee, I wish I bought a magazine. Some of that's probably a little bit he gets a little bit um, heady at times, but interesting. And uh, so we, was there anything that you're left with just like a swirling question I don't want to just send you off with? Like, oh my goodness, what what's he saying or what is going on here? Um, does this sound like something you could look forward to? Don't have to worry about bringing a magazine. It'll be plenty interesting. Um, okay. Well, next week, you know, he kind of touched on hell a little bit there, and it probably was not very helpful. But next week, we'll kind of get in. We'll talk a little bit about not next week. I'll be gone next week, January third. But the week following that, January tenth, uh, we'll get back into it, and we'll talk about kind of the judgment aspect, and and so it'll involve. This week was kind of heavenish, and that week will be more. Hell-ish. <laughs> Hopefully not for y'all. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so that's what's coming up next. But thank you for coming today. And as always, email me with questions if you have them. And, um, and I'll make sure that we get to it through the course of the rest of this series. So thanks.